Okay, so for my uh, Unashamed video, I wanted to talk about um, Isaiah 6 and how that relates to obedience um, in your calling in life. Um, so I would just want to go through a few verses and talk about them a little bit and then uh, make some more comments at the end. So starting in verse 1, um, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, so the first comment I want to make on that is that if you look over at John 4, 24, we see that God is spirit. So then how do we reconcile that with uh, Isaiah seeing uh, the Lord sitting upon a throne? Um, so two observations there is that God appeared as people could understand. So we see that when the Holy Spirit appears like a dove in John 1, or God appearing to Moses in a burning bush and things like that. Um, the other one, the other observation I want to make on that, uh, and this is actually, it, it was kind of a mind-blowing thing for me to hear, is that in John 12, 41, it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his, that is Jesus's, glory and spoke of him, that is Jesus. So what Isaiah was actually seeing was, um, was Jesus pre-incarnation. So the incarnation is when Jesus took on flesh. So Isaiah was seeing Jesus pre-incarnation. Um, and we can sort of back that up again with Colossians 1.15, which says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Um, but then one more observation on verse 1 before I move on is that um, having God on a throne seems just like the perfect place because he's just on the throne. He's always been on the throne. He always will be on the throne. And seeing that in the image is really kind of reassuring, particularly for Christians, because we know that God works all things together for our good, for the good of those who love him. Um, this is, however, bad news for unbelievers, as in Revelation talks about the judgment the, before the throne of judgment. So God will judge all people at the end of time, and um, having God on the throne means bad news for those who don't believe in Christ. So moving on to verse 2, it says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now, uh, I want to talk about four wings here. The two that show that even angels in the presence of God cannot stand under the full brightness of his glory. They had to cover their face because even they couldn't stand it, um, which I think is just really magnificent. It really shows the magnitude of of uh, the glory of God. And the other two that I wanted to talk about are the two that they, they were flying with, which shows that they're giving cheerful obedience and performance before God. And that's the first kind of element of obedience, that even, even angels are shown as giving obedience to, to God. Uh, so in verse 3, And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, holy is repeated three times, and um, one thing to notice there is that uh, in that time frame, in, in that um, sort of Israeli time frame, uh, three was seen as the number of perfection. So um, it, it's kind of saying that God's holiness is perfect. It's sort of like when you repeat something additional times, you're sort of extra emphasizing it. Uh, com a comparison is when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, that's like, it's like saying, no, but seriously, like, this is true. 
And so when holiness is repeated three times, it just shows the perfection of it. Um, some commentators have taken that perfection of his holiness and said that um, God's holiness there for sort of infects all of God's other attributes, which means that God's love is a holy love and God's mercy is holy mercy. Um, a lot of God's other attributes are mentioned, such as his grace, his justice, his mercy, but only holiness is repeated three times like this. So that's um, three times in succession like this. So that's something interesting. Uh, now the earth is filled um, with God's glory. And we see that again in Romans 1.20, which says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And what I want to draw from, from this is that when, when Isaiah, or when the seraphim in Isaiah's vision said the earth is filled with his glory, we see that in the things that we see around us, just in the fact that this world is even existing, that's, that's showing the glory of God. So now I've moved down to verse 5, which uh, is Isaiah's response, where he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Um, different translations have this as saying, for I am undone, which is kind of like saying, I feel like I'm about to be destroyed. And even Isaiah, who was called as a prophet by God, um, sort of like a, the high muckety-mucks of, uh, of the church or of, of Israel at that time, even he, who was holy by, by people's standards, felt like he was about to be undone just in the presence of, of God's full glory. Um, and he just says, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like everything he says is just not worthy of being before God. Um, so then moving down to verse six through seven, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away and your sin is atoned for. Uh, one key thing to note here is that um, the fire was taken from the altar uh, in God's throne room. And um, one commentator talked about how this shows that purity flows from God alone. It wasn't from anything outside. It wasn't by Isaiah's works that had made him pure. It was from the altar in God's throne room. And so God alone is the one who's giving purity. Um, so then verse 8, it says, uh, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, that's Isaiah, Here I am, send me. Now, uh, one key thing to note here is that God doesn't ask because he, he doesn't know who to send. Because from, the, from what the passage tells us, it's really only Isaiah and the two seraphim in their throne room besides God. Um, so it's not like there's just a ton of people and Isaiah's volunteering out of a crowd. So what we can talk about from here is that um, we are assured of our calling. So Isaiah was assured of his calling because he was he was there and hearing God ask who to send. So even though God is portrayed as asking, it was really more of a, of a way of saying like, yes, Isaiah, this is what I'm doing. I am sending you. Um, and so we can feel adequate for that commission because of the purification of Jesus Christ. So we see that he is purified and then he is sent. Um, 
And so when we are purified through Christ, we are then uh, adequate to be sent. Uh, and so all of this, you may be thinking, so what does this have to do with obedience? Now we see in verse 9 through the end, and I don't really want to read everything word for word. You guys can do that on your own. But, but you see that the people basically don't respond to Isaiah at all. They basically said they're going to hear what Isaiah is saying, but they're not going to uh, internalize it. They're not going to respond to it. They're going to see him doing things uh, and living for God, but they're still not going to respond. And basically, God's commission to Isaiah was to just not have anybody follow him. Um, and we we interestingly see that fulfilled twice in the New Testament. Um, once in John 12, right before the verse I had quoted earlier, 36 through 40, it says, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. The unbelief of the people, when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid, themself, him, uh, hid himself from them. Um, oh, sorry, that was the title. So, he said, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So interestingly, we see Jesus fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. And then later, in Acts 28, verses 25 through 27 specifically, um, and disagreeing among themselves, they, that is uh, the Jews, departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah, the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes, they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So we see this this um, this prophecy that Isaiah gets in, in chapter 6 being fulfilled both through Jesus and through Paul right after Jesus departs. Um, and it's interesting to me also that you see you, Isaiah describe his vision as seeing the Lord, then you, um, then you hear in John 12 talking about uh, Isaiah actually seeing Jesus, and then in Acts 28 it says that the Holy Spirit said, these things through Isaiah. So you kind of get both, you get the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all involved in this prophecy, which I think is really interesting. Uh, so that that gets to the end of Isaiah 6, but um, some additional comments on that last half. Um, you might be thinking, well, well, what is this that, that all these Jews got this prophecy, and they had Isaiah, a guy commissioned by God, going, going in front of them and giving them the good news, but then not turning and uh, repenting. And Romans 9, 6 says, um, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And here he's kind of introducing this distinction because, between what's called um, physical Israel and spiritual Israel, where physical Israel represents the actual Israelites, the physical, um, you know, ethnic Israel, the, the people that are Israelites. Uh, and then he's distinguishing that from what's called spiritual Israel, which represents kind of God's actual 
people that that believe on him and um you you kind of see this as uh in the modern times you have people that go to church but don't actually believe anything and you have people that go to church and believe what they're hearing and that's kind of the same distinction where even though they they may be physically present they're not necessarily spiritually present um and one thing i really wanted to press on that <clears throat> is that just blood relation to believers is not enough just because your parents are christians or just because your brothers and sisters are christians that doesn't kind of fly you in under the radar and you're all good um it's it's a personal faith just because you're in the church doesn't mean you're scot-free it's faith in christ that really is what determines your salvation um so what does this all have to do with obedience um you see that isaiah's prophecy isaiah's commission came directly from god and even though it came from god that commission included people not coming to him that it's basically saying you're going to go be a pastor for a church but you're going to have 10 people there on sunday forever and so the uh the really important thing i want to talk about here is that um it's obedience not success that determines um whether you're actually following what god is doing you god has granted people with successful churches god has granted people with you know, thousands of attendees at their churches every Sunday, but that's not the measure for whether you're doing God's word or not. And that something that I've struggled with is, um, you know, kind of just being successful in what I do rather than focusing on what God has called me to do. And you see that um, Isaiah, a prophet who has words printed in scripture, which is really just kind of a, a high position of, a, of authority, even he wasn't successful by worldly standards. He didn't have tons of money coming in through the tithe. He didn't have tons of members of his congregation, but he was doing what God called him to do. And that, that I think is something that's really important for everybody. Um, one other way to kind of phrase this is that faithfulness is not necessarily tied to fruitfulness. Um, being faithful doesn't guarantee that everything you do is going to be fruitful. And uh, one more verse that I wanted to bring in that, um, that kind of confirms this is Isaiah, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, which says, I planted Apollos water, I being Paul, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. And it's not up to us to give the growth. It's God who gives the growth. So walking in obedience meaning, means being the one to plant the seeds or being the one to water the seeds. It doesn't mean that you're going to get growth all the time. And I think that's it's kind of uh, a burden taken off of our shoulders of, you know, we may be doing exactly what God calls us to do, but that we're not necessarily going to see worldly measures of that uh, appearing before us. Um, and I think that one thing that's really important is not to get discouraged when those worldly measures don't come. Just because you don't have tons of people coming and seeking your advice doesn't mean that you're doing anything bad. Um, what determines whether you're doing the thing right is when you give good advice to the people that do come and then you you point them to Jesus. Um, so that's something that really has been impacting me is uh, measuring my obedience not by kind of the worldly fruits I see from it, but um, just my commitment to what God has called me to and uh, knowing that that is enough uh, and putting dependence on him for giving the growth. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Hope you got something from this. Bye.